Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. What's up, guys? Let's go over the event schedule here first. I got the Fambundant Solar Eclipse Adventure, August 17th to 22nd. Special guest, Caleb Maddox. He's an incredible 15-year-old. He's got a massive, massive YouTube following. If your kids are not following Caleb Maddox, they need to. He will be there with his father. He is an incredible guy. Also, I got uh, the Tribal Gathering in Austin, Texas. Just announced Tucker Max. Uh, he wrote a couple books. One is Assholes Finish First, and I hope they serve beer in hell. Not necessarily the role model that uh, we want all you guys to follow, but, you know, you either love him or hate him. If you hate him, uh, maybe because he probably gave you or your spouse some sort of venereal disease. Allegedly, uh, he has uh, thrown away his behaviors, and he is now a serious businessman and family man and you have an ability to talk to him in an intimate setting i uh, get to know him he's got this company book in a box where he's creating books for people now that can sell a ton and for all the controversy that he did cause he sold a ton probably an incredible amount of books an incredible amount of books his first book was on new york times bestseller list like a very very long time so that is going to be happening then and then we got the couples trip again, you know, might be one spot there. Reach out to Melanie and find out, out about that. And we got South Africa, probably a spot or two. If anybody you know is interested, depending on if this lodge we're staying at is full or not, but uh, you can reach out to Melanie about that. That is going to be a crazy, crazy trip. We got 15 GoBros already signed up for 10 days in South Africa. Amazing. And then, of course, our winter adventure in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yeah, we got the Fan Bundance families January 13th to 16th. And then we got the Go Bundance Brothers. That's you, January 16th through 19th. And uh, we are definitely limiting this to 100 people. So definitely uh, get your deposit in now. Only costs a grand to put your deposit in. We are working on uh, a killer speaker list. You know, by the names again, if everybody likes Tucker. Garrett Gunderson is speaking, who wrote Killing Sacred Cows and has an incredible company, The Wealth Factory. He's all about money and making money and saving money, investing money. And, of course, our boy Hal Elrod hopefully will be there, uh, dependent on upon how he's recovering. But he will be in Austin, too, by the way. So, you know, if you want to check out Hal, that's where he lives. So he should be there at the summer event there. Another reason to go to Austin. But we need... A group. We're putting together a group, and we want it to be Go Bros. We don't want it to be elders. We want it to be Go Bros because you guys understand, you know, oh, I didn't like that speaker last time, or I didn't like the way you guys did this, or this thing seemed like a waste of time. We really want your input. So we're looking at almost up to 10 Go Bros. And the benefit is, you know, you get to help create our January event. And because there's 10 people, it's not like, you know, we're going to like stick you with a massive amount of work. We're just looking for your input and your creativity and your help a little bit and helping us put this whole thing together. And we want a lot of different opinions. So if you want to be somebody, one of maybe 10 or so people that helps plan the Steamboat event, please reach out to Melanie, melanie at goabundance.com. And yeah, so anyways, we're already starting to work on some incredible trips for uh, 2018 and definitely you want to get your uh, bucket list items checked if you haven't already for 2017 because there's amazing things there and one more thing guys please go to the facebook page and just in the search bar just type in pillar killer or if you look to the top it's saved to the top and fill out the form that we have for pillar killers and what a pillar killer is is you know, someone in the tribe, there's 130 members now, of the members that you know, who is a person that represents our six pillars? Age-defying health, boom, there's a guy in my head I think of already. You know, think of like an older dude that looks like a 20-year-old, or think of just someone who is like daily doing what's right to live forever. Extreme accountability, boom, who called you out on something recently? 
nominate them, right? Easy, genuine contribution. Who's out there giving back? Who's making a difference? Who's making the world a better place? Bucket list adventure? You know, who's out there getting the goods, as Timmy Road would say? Who's out there having fun, right? Doing memorable stuff, taking pictures that if they died, they would hang them up at their funeral around the coffin. Here's me on Cager Bolton Rock. Here's me at the top of Kilimanjaro. Who's doing these bucket list pictures, right? Horizontal income. You don't want to nominate someone for horizontal income if, if their ratio is 10%, you know? Who's horizontal income pays their bills plus, 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 and authentic relationships? Who's, you know, who has an envious marriage? Really? Who has an envious marriage? Which one of the GoBros is having the most sex? <laughs> or which one of the GoBros is getting the, the deepest relationships with people, has the most friends, is an incredible patriarch? That's a good one. Who's the best patriarch, right? For their family, who thinks like a patriarch, as we all should be thinking like patriarchs. Nominate that person. But here's the killer, guys. You can't nominate an elder. Elders don't count, right? Because everybody knows the elder, so they're top of mind. And it's too easy to nominate an elder. So no elders, please. No Pat, Tim, David, Rock, Mark, or Mike. Zip. That's it. Pick. There's 124 others to pick from. Just scroll through your Facebook friends. Nominate six killer pillars. Or at least just go in and nominate one or two. I don't care. And also, if you're tied, if you're like, man, this guy is, is hyper-focused on horizontal and this guy's hyper-focused, you can nominate them both. It does allow you to nominate more than one person for for one category so go and do it please results to come in the future it's a fun thing so please do it thank you that's it for now guys grab life big brothers grab life big i'm glad you were home i'm always home i'm on cool me too you're doing great yeah the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is it my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Hey, GoBros, welcome to today's show. This is Elder Tim Road, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Jeff Hoffman. Now, Jeff is not your ordinary billionaire. Yes, he founded Priceline.com, one of the founders. He also founded the airport kiosk where you rush in to save a lot of time at the airport and about six other startups. As a business person, he's brilliant. But that's not what makes Jeff special. It's his servant's heart. And that's what attracted him to One Life Fully Lived and GoBundant. Jeff is on a mission to help entrepreneurs like us change the world. And if you saw him spend time with all of, with the kids we did at our recent One Life Fully Live Dare to Dream event, and then all the entrepreneurs at the One Life Fully Live conference, he spent hours in the hallway just talking, inspiring. This man is incredible. He loves the work that One Life Fully Lived and GoBundance is doing to change the world. And in emails to me, he always says, let's go make a dent in history. You've got to love this man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Jeff Hoffman, interviewed by Mike McCarthy. Go get him, GoBros. Grab life big. Awesome. Well, hey, GoBundance brothers, coming to you uh, for our book series here today, and we're excited to uh, have a special guest with us. As you know, we sent out the book Scale a couple months ago to you all, and we're really happy to have the uh, author with us today, Jeff Hoffman. And uh, Jeff is an incredible human being. I have to say that uh, just to set some context, I saw Jeff speak up for, I think, the fifth time this weekend. <laughs> Uh, I think it might be a little bit of a Jeff Hoffman groupie at this point, Jeff, but uh, I can tell you that every time I've heard him speak, I've learned something new. And uh, what's really incredible about Jeff is that he's not only pioneered business and in the, in the travel industry from how we purchase our plane tickets to how we even check in at the airport has been dramatically changed by the work that Jeff has done through his entrepreneur uh, in, endeavors. 
And uh, besides that, he's obviously an author and uh, he's an amazing philanthropist. Uh, he's been on a journey the past uh, several years of he's which started with just one year of uh, saying yes to help people. If they asked him, he, his answer would be yes. But one of the most impressive things about Jeff is his hunger to help people, to change the world, to make a difference in, you know, how he'll be remembered in the things that he does beyond just making money are far more important to him. So we're really blessed to have you here with us today, Jeff. Uh, you know, the GoBundance tribe is is a bunch of guys who get together and grab life big is, is kind of how we put it. And uh, that means not just being a, a millionaire, which is one of our qualifications, is to be somebody who's active and successful in a wealth building area, but we also focus in on other pillars such as health, contribution, adventure, having solid relationships, and then being accountable and showing up and doing what we say we're going to do. So um, I feel like we're uh, kindred spirits in many ways, Jeff. We, we really want guys to not just be successful in life, but to to level up in every area of their life so that they can be what we call a whole life millionaire, meaning we want to be a millionaire in our health, a millionaire in our contribution, our relationships, everything. So, Jeff, we're happy to have you here today, and thank you so much for uh, sharing your book, Scale, with everybody as well. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I will wait. I'll show you what. I am uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean in Spain. That's Malaga, Spain, where I'm sitting today, right, right near the sea. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we know that your your work and your travels take you uh, far and wide, which is uh, definitely in line with the adventure side of GoBundance. We uh, went to Vietnam last year, planned to go to South Africa with a group of guys this year. And uh, every right. time we do, we do some type of a humanitarian give back day where we try to go in and one day make a difference somewhere. So, that's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, Jeff, I thought I would kind of just start with, you know, your hunger for curiosity. You know, I know you've got a lot of things about childlike wonder and how that really serves to be curious. And, and I know that uh, even info sponging is uh, something that I learned about from you. But maybe give the guys an idea of uh, what info sponging is and why do you feel that being curious is so important in today's world as entrepreneurs and as people that want to make a difference? Sure. And that's a, that's a good one to start with because I think it's one of the most important things. And the, uh, I'm going to say the problem, but really the missed opportunity, since as an entrepreneur, I always look for the, on the positive side. The missed opportunity is that people get stuck in their lane, in their channel too much. And what I mean by that is let's say that your, if your business, your primary business is healthcare, then you would spend all your time really on healthcare, right? That, that's what you work on. That's what you do. That's what you think about. If I were to tell you one day that I was going to a banking industry conference, do you want to go? You would tell me, Jeff, I'm not in banking. I'm in healthcare. I don't really care what they do there. It would not be of interest. If I were to give you an article about what was going on in the world of retail malls, you would tell me, Jeff, we're in healthcare. We don't really care. And what happens is people tend to get sort of stuck in that channel and they miss First of all, they miss so much just fascinating stuff that's going on in the world, but they miss opportunities. And I started to study, and you know, I've talked to you about this before. I started to study what I think my definition of the, what the world's most successful people are like. What are the, here was my question. I've had this question for many years of my life. What are the common traits of the world's most successful people? What is it they're doing that everybody else isn't that, you know, made them all billionaires or whatever your definition of success is? And there are clearly some things that they're doing that everybody else isn't. And one of them I started to notice was these are people that process a much wider view of the world than everybody else. And so let, let me explain that. Like I said, that if your primary business with healthcare or less real estate or whatever, that's what you'd spend all your time doing. So you wouldn't really care what about other industries and the rest of the world around you quite enough because it's not relevant. And you would say, well, that doesn't do anything for me. But I created a technique to model what I saw the world's most, again, successful people doing. And it's people that I've just been blessed to spend time with over the years, whether it was a, a recent, what events I recently did with Richard Branson or Steve Wozniak from Apple or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or whoever. A lot of people that are my heroes in the business side that I, that I spent time with. So here's what I came up with, the technique to model what they do. I just call it info sponging, which you know, as you know from the book and stuff, doesn't mean anything. I just was, had made up a word for it. But 
The concept is this. The concept is once a day for 10 minutes a day. You can't do it once a day. Do it once a week. I do this the first 10 minutes of every day, my info sponging. And what I do is when I get up for 10 minutes a day, you are not in your industry at all. I'm not in healthcare or whatever it is. And you do not work at your company. So you're going to take 10 minutes a day, and all you're going to do is learn one new thing every day that you have no reason to learn. Right? If someone said you want to read this article, you'd say, no, that's not, I don't really care what they're doing in banking. So that's what info sponging is. Every day I read one new thing. I challenge myself to learn just one new thing. It's only a couple of minutes, guys. At the end, I write one sentence down every day of summarizing the one thing I learned. I'll give you an example in just a minute here. And almost all the time when you're reading it and learning it, you have no idea why you're learning that or what it means to you in your life. But I want you to think about it this way. If you think of acquiring knowledge like puzzle pieces, if I gave Mike a piece of a puzzle and said, Mike, what is this puzzle? Uh, Mike would say, I have no idea. You gave me one piece. It's just blue. If I gave Mike two or three pieces, he would say, Jeff, I still have no idea what this is going to be. But think about this. If I gave Mike a puzzle piece every single day, and every day after he got a new piece, Mike pushed those pieces around on the table in different forms. One day he would call me all excited and he'd say, Jeff, I figured it out. Once that last piece came in, I, that was enough. Now I realize this, these pieces are going to fit together to make a castle in Ireland. So the idea of info sponging is to do the same thing in knowledge. Every day you collect another piece of information about what's going on in the world. And what you're trying to do is I sometimes write them on sticky notes and stick them on the wall and stare at them. The same way you used to make sentences out of refrigerator magnets as a kid. You move the words around. And what I'm doing is every day I'm looking at the things going on in the world and saying, is there any way to combine these things in a way that no one's ever thought of before? It might be a new piece of technology. It might be a new trend. Whatever it is, you're looking to see if there are ideas in the rest of the world that you could recombine. So give you some examples, right? Like I was, uh, when I was talking to uh, Travis, uh, he created uh, Uber. Uber was not created by staring at the taxi industry. Uber was created by him reading a story about the sharing economy, right? And then the guy reading a story about latent capacity, Meaning, uh, you know, meaning your car is just sitting there and no one's using it. Uh, he was reading a story about uh, home employment. And when he put all these together, he had this idea to create Uber. But no one idea from any one industry would have ever created Uber, certainly not the taxi biz. So that's the goal of doing this info sponging. And I just want to say one more thing before we move on. So I'll try to make it a little more concrete that, by the way, Priceline itself was created by a combination of different, different ideas that came from all different places, you know, such as uh, the concept of selling distressed inventory at an auction, right? Empty airplane seats in hotel rooms. The concept of the price urgency of perishable commodities. An airplane seat is more perishable than a piece of fruit. A banana lasts all week. An airplane seat spoils our hotel room the second the clock strikes midnight or the plane door closes. So, these were all disparate concepts that were brought together to create something new in a way no one had ever done it before. So the, the story, by the way, one of the ones that really got me onto it was years ago, there was a guy that was in the, uh, and I'll, I'll move on after this, there was a guy that was in the fast food industry. And they, were, they sold hamburgers, they had a hamburger joint, and they weren't growing. And the owner was like, I, we got to innovate, we got to do something different than everybody else in the hamburger industry. But when he went and looked, he went inside and said, well, you can't make fries faster because you can't heat oil anymore. Uh, it ruins the fries. You can't fill Diet Cokes faster because they splatter. He said, I don't know how to do something different than everybody else in my industry because he was staring at the industry. Then he did his own, you know, he did this sort of interval sponge thing. He said, you know what? So I'm going to just go drive around and see how, what banks are up to. And people said, what a waste of time. Banks don't serve burgers. They don't make food. They're going to teach you nothing. And the first few banks he went to, he learned nothing. But in the fourth one, this is a true story, he uh, pulled up and he couldn't park in the parking lot. The parking lot was filled with pickup trucks, wood, hammer, nails, and carpenters. And he said, hey, what exactly is going on? Because normally at a bank, everyone's inside. What are you guys doing in the parking lot? And they said, oh, we're about to build this cool new thing our bank just invented, came up with. He said, what is it? They said, 
When we finish it, we're going to call it the drive through lane. The fast food guy got in his car, flew back to his hamburger joint. The first drive through lane in fast food history did not come from one single fast food company. It came from a bank. A guy that was looking to see if banks had any cool ideas discovered they had one. He stole it. He built the first drive through window in fast food, and his company was later acquired by McDonald's because they were the innovators that invented fast food. That's the concept of info sponging. Constantly take a minute to see what the rest of the world is doing and stare at the puzzle pieces and say, is there something I could do with all these pieces that no one has ever done in my industry before or no one has ever thought of? Many of the most innovative and billion-dollar creations came from that process alone. Wow, that's, that's exceptional. You know, one of the lines I had underlined in the book, Scale, was a quote. It's what you learn after you think you know it all that really matters, right? So I think it's that old adage of, you know, suspending what we think we know to create room for, for whatever's next. So, so Jeff, I have a, a, a question for you based on something you shared at the One Life event. And, and by the way, I want to just thank you for your incredible generosity at the One Life event and at the One Day event. And for those of you who don't know, I'll just share that, you know, Jeff was generous enough to auction off some of his time to do a, a workshop for some of the attendees at One Life. And it became the, the greatest uh, single source of fundraising we've ever had for a One Life event. And it will fuel the lives and dreams of so many others that were we're uh, helping, but Jeff, I just want to thank you for your, your extreme generosity uh, at One Life. That was really exceptional. You are most welcome, and there's a really good reason I do it. It's because of you guys. You're doing very, really valuable work, and you are changing people's lives, and anything that I can do to help you do that, I will be happy to. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. You know, so here's my question for you is because I think this relates to the reason of why we created the Go Abundance tribe, you said something over the weekend, you said that careful about proximity over relevance, meaning who we get our advice from or who we're taking, uh, uh, letting us tell us about our dreams and our possibilities or our own limitations really matters. And we've done a great job, at least I believe, and worked diligently at creating a community of guys who think alike, who help each other, who support each other, and who also are qualified to give great advice. So talk about the power of that within a tribe and a community and why is it so important who we surround ourselves with? Uh, it's critically important. And is it okay if I tell the golf story? Yeah, that would be awesome. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful of time, but I think it really helps illustrate the situation a lot of us find ourselves in. I uh, was in a briefly in my life at a corporate job and I hated it. And I, I quit because I had some ideas of some things I wanted to do. And when I quit, I got uh, called down the hall from a guy named Charles. Charles was the highest ranking technical person at this big engineering company I worked for. Charles was the person everybody wanted to be in the whole company. Everybody in that company hoped they'd become Charles one day. Um, Charles was also the smartest person I'd ever met in my life. Charles calls me into his office. says, Jeff, I heard you're quitting. I said, I am. And he laughs. And he said, why? Because you're smarter than everyone else. I said, I never said that. And he said, well, apparently you're going to go be an entrepreneur. I said, with disdain, I said, I am. And he said, because you think you can make things better? And I, I didn't answer. I, I said, sir, I, I just it's a different career path for me. And he said, well, it doesn't matter anyway. And I said, pardon me? And he said, no matter what you do with your life, you'll be a failure anyway. And I said, okay. And he said, sit down for a minute. I'm going to tell you. There's three reasons you'll never be successful at anything. So I sat down, and he said, I'm a little bit stunned, and he said, the first reason you'll be a complete failure in your life, he said, is you're completely out of focus. He said, sometimes I see you, and you got 10 things going on. And he said, you're so unfocused, you'll fail at everything. And I said, okay, this is the, you know, the guy everybody wants to be attacking me. And then he said, the second reason you'll never succeed in anything in your life, he said, didn't your mother ever tell you growing up how patience was a virtue? And the truth is, yeah, my mom yelled at me all the time about my lack of patience. Uh, and he said, Jeff, you're the most impatient person I've ever met. He said, sometimes things just take years. He said, I've had projects where I worked on the same thing for three or four years before anything got done. 
He said, patience is, you just have to have patience in the world and you're the most impatient person I've ever met. Now I'm sitting here, guys, thinking, this is the smartest person I've ever met telling me that I'm the dumbest person he's ever met. And he's the most successful person I know telling me I'll be the least successful person ever. And so he says, oh, wait, I start to get up. There's a third thing. I said, what's that? He said, the third reason you'll be a failure at whatever you try, he said, is that you have no respect for authority. He said, people smarter than you wrote the books and designed the industries and built the companies, and you think you can do it better? And he said, what are you going to do, go out and redesign an industry? And the sad part is, the truth is, yeah, I was kind of thinking, we're going to rip the travel industry apart and rewrite it. But I didn't say a word. He laughed, and he said, don't come begging me for a job again because you're a flawed failure. So I go home. I'm really depressed. The smartest person I know and the most successful person at the company tells me what a loser I am. So I turn on sports just for that's how I escape my troubles always. And it's a golf show. Uh, and I don't actually really golf, but there was a baseball player I know that was on the show. The golfer, so I stopped. The golfer puts the golf ball down, drives a, whatever, 280 down the fairway, beautiful. Hands the club to the baseball player and says, just do it the way I do it. Baseball player swings the golf club horribly and the ball goes into the trees. The golfer yells at him, you're a horrible golfer and your swing sucks. He said, you're swinging the golf club like it's a baseball bat. And he got frustrated, he grabbed the club back. He said, watch, he puts the club ball down, hits another 270 drive down the fairway, whatever it is hands the club back to the baseball player and says, do it the way I do it. Baseball player swings a golf club, a horrible swing, it goes into the sand. The golfer starts yelling at him again, you're a horrible golfer, your swing is horrendous, and you swing the golf club like a baseball bat, you'll never be able to play golf. The baseball player said something that was literally an epiphany moment for me that changed my life. He said, he turned, he goes, with all due respect to the game of, the go game of golf, he said, I'm a two-time National League MVP. I lead the majors in home runs. I'm third in batting average, and I just won a World Series ring. I get paid $24 million to swing the bat this way. He said, I'm good with the way I'm swinging the bat. Thank you. And I sat bolt upright, and I said, oh, my God, I just figured out what's wrong with my whole life. Everybody in my life is a golfer, and I want to play baseball. My parents were corporate people. So when I tell my parents my life plan – they tell me how bad my golf swing is because the only thing they know is golf, the corporate life, right? And I started thinking about everybody around me. I love my dad, but I didn't want to be him. So having him judge my golf swing when I really want to play baseball was useless. So I want everybody listening. How many of you have ever been in a situation where it seems that no one around you gets you? That's why you guys created the GoBundance Tribe. I get that. That's why I'm on it. But people, I started thinking, who is it that you get advice from? Uh, and, and what, you know, I wrote down what, what I, I told Mike, that we get our advice from proximity, not relevance. Your wife's, girlfriend's, sister's, mother's, best friend, brother, the people that you see every day are the people you talk to every day. So they're the ones you tell your dreams to, your fears to, your whatever. And they're the ones that are giving you feedback. You're such a dreamer. You're so unrealistic. That's a dumb idea. That's a great idea. You're hearing it for all these people that actually have no relevance, no base to judge you in those things, but they don't hesitate because they're right there next to you. So I started realizing that if I want to be a baseball player, in my case, it was an entrepreneur instead of a golfer, which was a corporate person, but whatever your own personal one is, that's yours. I need to go find a baseball player. So I looked around my community and I hunted. I didn't have the, you know, the, the blessing of the tribe that you guys have of something like uh, abundance. But I finally found a guy and here was my criteria. I want to find somebody who I want to be like when I grow up. And again, I love my dad, my parents. I didn't want their life. And I didn't want the life really of Charles or anyone around me. But I found a guy who's, who I want to be like when I grow up. His name was Roger. And I called Roger and I finally got a meeting. And after we sat for a while and chatted, Roger said something amazing, which is why this story was so life-changing. He said, Jeff, you're going to be a brilliantly successful entrepreneur. I said, Roger, why do you think that? And this was what was so funny. He said three reasons. I, he said, have a seat. I said, what? He said, first of all, you're an incredible multitasker. I said, really? Because yesterday I was out of focus, right? A baseball player told me my swing was great. A golfer told me it was horrible, right? My out of focus, my multitasking is actually a huge asset in the game of baseball. Um, then he said, the second reason, he said, you have incredible natural drive. 
I said, that's funny because it was impatience yesterday. He said, well, maybe it's impatience in the corporate world, the game of golf. But he said, in this world, entrepreneurship, you better get it done now. Never wait till tomorrow to do something you can do today. So your natural drive is a great asset. And then he said, third, he said, Jeff, you have no fear. I said, oh, because that was disrespect for authority yesterday. He said, no, it's, it's, you have no fear of trying things the way no, nobody may ever tried them before. So I, I tell you that whole story because whether you're being falsely lifted or falsely brought down, think about who you're listening to. If these are the people and the topic, you know, my mom now, my mom, one day I was listening to my mom after that epiphany. And I just started saying, wait, mom, you built a total of, oh yeah, zero internet companies. Why are you telling me that this, what I'm doing? And so I took to learning to nod my head and pretend to take notes and say, thanks, mom. That's nice, mom. Thanks, mom. That's great. But I'm not listening to a word she's saying on that topic. So that's the story Mike was talking about that surround, if you want to play baseball, surround yourself with baseball players and learn to judge the source. And that includes positive feedback. If your wife says you're the smartest person ever, you actually might not be. She might be a little predisposed to think that and shoving you forward, saying it's such a brilliant idea. And in fact, she's never done anything like that either. So false positives and, and you know, and, and false and true, uh, both the, the, the false and the positive can lead you astray if you're getting your advice from the wrong people. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's such great wisdom. So I probably have uh, time for another short question here before we open for Q&A. You know, I, I would love to know your definition of success. And, you know, I know for you, you know, what matters most is what you've done to improve the lives of others. And, you, all, you know, obviously that's important to you, but you kind of have a definition for success. I'd love to have you share that with everyone else because I think we could get caught up in it being about money or certain accomplishments. But for you, what do you think success means and what's your definition? So here's, here's how I revise my definition over the years. We are raised to believe that success is a combination of one, two, or three of these things, which are money, power, and fame. If someone's rich, they were successful. That's what we say in our society. If they become famous, they're a movie star, they're successful. If they achieve power, they're the governor or whatever, and they're successful. And the truth is, my definition of success changed the following. My definition of success now is any human being that you meet that can turn around right now, look backwards over their whole life right up to that minute and say, wow, what a ride. Somebody that says, sure, I made mistakes, but I wouldn't change anything. I'll take the mistakes because it led me down the path that got me here. Anybody that loves their life is who you should be jealous of. And guess what? That person may have zero money, zero power and zero fame, or they might have money and power and fame. Those aren't the criteria. The criteria is people look, turn back and say, what a great ride. I am spending my time on this planet wisely. If you look back and say, I love the way I'm using this life. This is exactly going the way I planned and I wouldn't do it differently. That's the person to be jealous of. So given that definition of success, it's important to ask yourself this question. For you to look back at your life and say, time well spent. I really used my time well. I, I, you know, this was the life I wanted to have. What things do you have to get done? And that's the list to make. So I realized for me, Mike, mine was, I want to look back and be able to say that I made a positive impact on as many people's lives as possible. So if my criteria to look back and say, you know, from your community, right? Uh, you know, from, from uh, your community, um, from one life, um, from these other communities, when, I, when somebody, it just takes one, somebody sends me one email and says, Jeff, you just positively changed the course of my life. That's it, man. I'm good. That is the life I want to look back and I'll be able to nod when my day comes and say, I use my time on this earth wisely if I achieve that. So now I ask myself a lot when I'm doing things, is the activity I'm spending my time on taking me down that path? that I will look back on and say that was the right way to go. I did, I did the things I wanted to do. That's the definition of success that I've been trying to live to uh, since the day I met. I have some billionaire friends who are grotesquely unhappy, and I have some friends who have nothing that are laughing and smiling every day, and I said, apparently, what defines success I was wrong about, and now I think I get it. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I have a, a note from just the other day, you said chase excellence, not money, that money always follows excellence. And 
Um, you shared a great story about Evander Holyfield and him only wanting to do, or uh, you counting the reps, right? And he's saying, no, I have to do 300. I, I'm not sure if that was 300. I'm at 299. So let me do that extra rep. But it's interesting how somebody like Evander Holyfield gets to where he is by doing 300 reps. And if he's not sure if he's done 300 reps, he'll do 301 or 302 just to make sure that he's focusing on excellence before anything else. I love that story. And uh, it was it's, awesome. Mike, it's whether it's, it's not sports, right? It's not business. It's just life. Uh, the people that, the people that always finish and when in doubt, never take the shortcut. When in doubt, run one more lap. Those are the people that seem to get to the top. Literally, just before I got on the phone with you guys, I was on the phone with Derek Jeter again for a business deal we're working on. But I always think about that when I talk to Derek, that every, you know, he just had his number retired by the Yankees. Everything Derek does, he does it all the way to the finish. He doesn't, he never jogged out an infield out. He ran full speed to first base just in case the first baseman dropped the ball. People that live their life that way become Hall of Fame humans. Yeah, and Wayne, weren't you saying like that he's really persistent in his business dealings? And he was like, well, that's just how I am. Like, I'm persistent. You know, that's, that's the yes. mentality you take on. Yep, when, when the times that he would call five times in a day, I'd say, Derek, dude, calm down. And he said, Jeff, this is the me that got me here. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Love it. Yeah, we have a saying in GoBundance that, we don't apologize for being awesome, which is not an arrogant thing. It's just a thing to say like, hey, if we have a special unique t talent or skill or way of being that helps us to win or to do better in the world, then we're going to celebrate that versus Absolutely. in the world. You have to shrink so you don't make other people feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeff, we're really excited. And, you know, guys, we're going to get more time with Jeff at the Steamboat uh, Go Abundance event in January. We're going to really love that. One of the things you'll know and realize about Jeff is that, I mean, he's such a humble guy. Like the story we just told about Evander Holyfield wasn't some story that we heard. Like Jeff was actually spotting Evander Holyfield when that story took place. Like he's a guy that's rubbing shoulders with incredible influencers in the world. And yet he's the most humble guy that I've had an experience uh, of, of interacting with truly just amazing. And Jeff, everything you've shared so far has been so exceptional. And I want to give the guys now a chance to ask any questions that, uh, that they may might have And team. We may have muted some people. You may need to unmute yourself. Uh, but we asked to keep the line as clear as possible as we're still asking these questions. So who'd like to jump in there with the question? Saul. Go ahead, Saul. Hey, Jeff, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge. That's amazing. The question I have is, uh, do you have any, anything to share with us, let's say, in the, in the beginning of your entrepreneurship career? How were you able to, to meet such a, uh, individuals like Sam Walton or someone else this type of caliber? You know, what kind of value were you able to bring to them to get uh, to the meeting and, and learn from them you know, in, when you were in the beginning of your journey? Sure. You know what's cool, Sal? In the question, you actually answered it. Um, so, because you said, what kind of value were you able to bring to them? So here's the formula. Uh, and it's the formula that we did. Uh, you know, I talked about it the other day in, in uh, Philadelphia. It's what we talked to the kids about at, at, at the uh, uh, youth event and everything. But here is the formula. Wherever you want to get in life, whether it is next to athletes, next to entertainers, next to politicians, next to surgeons, nurses, gardeners, whatever. It doesn't matter. If there's somewhere you want to be in life, the formula is this, is that you have to make yourself valuable to the people you want to be around. And the way you become valuable to people you want to be around is to become a problem solver that's really talented at solving a problem that those people have. And the way you do that is study, study, study. So... I'll back up before the sports. When I wanted to, uh, I wanted to produce a concert, and I'm a software engineer, never produced anything, and no experience in the music space. So the, the the process I used way back then, which I still use now, was figure out the place you want to be, figure out a problem to solve, and figure out how to make yourself valuable to the people you want to be with. So what I did was I wanted to be around the music the concert side. So I uh, studied the hell out of, of concerts. Everything I could find about 
a concert production. And then on the board, I make these giant like spreadsheet plans of how concerts are produced. Then what you do, once you research something, go to a whiteboard and write down all the problems that have to be solved by those people. Key points. All the people you want to be around, make a list of all the problems they're trying to solve. Then you go through and you cross off all the ones you can't solve. So we'll take music for an example. I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't write music, I can't do choreography. Those are all part of a concert. If by the time you're done, you've crossed everything off the list, on, that dream's probably not happening. But when I was done, there was stuff on the list. There was concert financing and how you put together financial deals. There was concert promotions and how you put together sponsors and promotional deals. There was concert marketing and clever advertising. And I started circling all those because those are all things I know how to do, not for concerts, but they're skills that I have. So then I said, here's a list of things I could do that those people need done, right? If you see a concert, I don't care, let, let's say it's a, uh, you know, it could be a, uh, pick one, a Taylor Swift concert or whatever. She's not paying for the concert and she doesn't put it together. Some business team puts together the financing package, the promotional, the marketing package. So I studied those things. I learned how to do those things in the industry, then you just then you can start to reach out because they'll respond, say, I understand you have this problem. Is there any way I could help you with this problem? Um, and then when you get a chance, you got to do it, right? So the first thing I ever did was actually, well, one of the big ones is I produced a concert with Elton John, but I handled all the promotion, all the finance, all the marketing, all the stuff that musicians don't know how to do. And what people do is they just assume, right? that there are people around, they say, well, those people already have people that do all that. How do you think they got those people to do all that? Because someone like you and I reached out and said, also, I'll do that for you. So suddenly, you know, I'm on tour with NSYNC and Britney Spears and Elton and we're doing Nelly and all this stuff. You know why? Because I became valuable to them. So I told this story last week in Philly that last time I was out in LA, I wound up that evening at Christina Aguilera's house and I was looking around the house thinking, what am I doing here? And the answer is, She's got a business idea, and she wanted me to help with it. And I said, why'd you call me? And she said, because people in our industry said, you're the guy that knows how to do this. You're the problem solver. That happened because I picked a problem I could solve. I studied it, and then I let people know. We're doing a project now with Pitbull, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, how did I get into the fact that I'm in the room and Pitbull's the one calling me? And the answer is, I found a problem that they needed solved. I became skilled at it by studying, and then I just spread the word. There's a way to get around the people you want to be around. That's the Jeter thing, right? We're trying to buy a baseball team now. I'm the business guy. Derek would run the team. I don't know baseball, but I know how to negotiate deals and merge and acquire companies. That's what we're doing. That's why the guy wanted my help. Great job. Thank you. Amazing. Awesome. Great answer. Way to go, Saul. Nice question. Who has our next question? Hey, it's Ken. Go ahead, Ken. Hey, Jeff. Great to meet you last week. Thanks for everything you do for One Life. When it comes to scaling a company with people as the most important resource, what are the most important metrics that you look for in folks that you're looking to bring out of your team? So tell me which kind of metrics, because that's what multi well, Let's say characteristics, qualities. Is okay. it, uh, you know, what are you looking for in the people you're wanting to bring out of your team? So the first thing that I ask people when I'm interviewing <laughs> before I even tell them about the company, give them a job description or ask about their resume. The first question I ask every single time is the que what we just talked about a few minutes ago. I say, tell me one thing you have to get done with your life so that you'll look back and say, my life was a success, time well spent. The answer to that tells me so much. The first person I ever asked that to, I, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I thought he might say, what is this, a, you know, a, a Zen question? I thought he might get upset. He was an engineer. And I said, just tell me one thing you got to get done with your life to make your life a life well lived uh, before it's over. And he answered without hesitation. He said, I got to buy my mom a house in Florida to spend the rest of her life in, and I got to pay for it all. And I said, well, that's a specific answer. He said, it sure is. And he told a story of growing up in an Airstream trailer that was so old, it was rusted out, and the snow came in the holes. And he would lay there at night and look at his, you know, single mom who was doing everything she can to try to provide for him and get him out of that hellhole. And he would say, lay there every night and say, someday, somehow, whatever it takes, I will reward my mother for her sacrifices by buying her a house in Florida. Immediately, I knew I wanted him on my team. You know why? 
people that are driven by money or I'm trying to become a vice president or any other kind of much lesser goals, when it's not working, when, when the company's not making money, remember I'm the startup biz, or the company's not growing fast enough, they quit. That's what they're there for. A kid who cannot ever sleep again peacefully until he buys his mom a house, he ain't never going home. When things got bad, Chris said, look, Jeff, my mom's house depends on this, so let's just close the door and figure this one out. He never quit and he never backed down. And, you know, that's because people driven by passion or a purpose will far outperform people driven by a paycheck. So that's what I look for talking to people. What is it that drives them? Why do they really come into work every day? And people that have one, not only do they make the best employees, uh, but you got to make that your mission too. Uh, you know, it was my life's goal then too, to make sure that some way, somehow, we got Chris's mama house. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, this is, this is Mo Shamil. How are you? Uh, I'm, uh, are you? I'm in D.C. and I'm actually planning on being in Malaga late July, so I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, well, it's a beautiful day in Malaga now, that's for sure. It's awesome. And my question to you is, um, is there a framework or um, how to disrupt an industry? Uh, I'm in the title insurance industry. is very, very boring. Is there a way, a framework, way of thinking how to disrupt a, an industry? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, we do the same thing. We map industries. We literally go up on a giant whiteboard and we draw out the entire food chain of an industry. And then we go step by step to that food chain and we do two things. Uh, we look at where it just seems inefficient on its own, but then we look at the info sponge part. Business models that are being used elsewhere in the world, and you just go through the, the brainstorming and saying, does that make any sense? Basically, you go through 100 crazy ideas, and 99 of them are actually crazy. And one of them, you say, wait, 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 back up, say that again. Uh, but that doesn't happen until you do that. We call it no gravity. When we brainstorm, we have no gravity. and so. What you, again, the first step is making sure you're finding an, efficient, an industry that really has an efficiency, that has fat in it or middle people or to, you know, anything that you say this is inefficient. Then because industries that, you know, you're squeezing every last time, life's too short. Sometimes I see people going after industries where they tell me it's so tough, the margins are so incredibly small here. And I'm like, why did you even start with that industry then? Why didn't you go find an inefficient industry that you could cut a lot of cost out of and keep? keep half the change. Um, so once you find that, I think then it's thinking, I'm going to tell you guys these things we do. We do call them blue sky sessions. And in blue sky sessions, this is the drill, Mo, and this, this is what I do. Ask this question. If you were to start this industry over completely from scratch today, forget everything that's ever been in the past. Because the problem is, Mo, the way we innovate is if you were in insurance for 20 years and someone says, What's the future? You would stare at the insurance industry and you would create insurance 21.0. The problem with that is it, it, it moves along every bad decision, every old paradigm, every old technology in it. So what we do is we say, wipe the slate clean and pretend that we are literally starting the insurance industry over right now, completely from scratch. And how would you build it? That's the first part is reboot your industry. The second part is do it with no gravity. What no gravity means is let the crazy tell you really fast one. We were talking about the fast food industry because the drive through lane sometimes is really long. And this came up because one of my employees was late and I said, where were you? And he said, in the fast food lane with air quotes because it wasn't fast. So we said, let's, let's brainstorm that one and let's blue sky as we call it. And so the, the no gravity means to come up with the craziest thing you can and start there and go down instead of starting inside the fast food base looking at the french fry machine and trying to prove it, right? So he says this. He says, it, it takes too long to pull over, drive through, order, pay, you know, get my lunch and drive, get back on the road. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, Jeff, you know when you go to a concert or a basketball game and they have these cannons that shoot T-shirts up in the stands? He said, I'm going to text my order to McDonald's and then as I'm driving by, I'm going to open my window and they're going to be standing on the curb with lunch cannons. And he said, they're just going to fire lunch out of T-shirt cannons into the passenger seat of every passing car. I said, okay, dude, that ain't going to work. But that's where we started, Mo. And by the time we came down from there, we wound up starting an entire new company that we're testing that has, and has electric eyes in the drive-through lanes of fast food places. It recognizes you. It looks at your order history. 
uh, and it starts preparing your order before you ever even turn in there, assuming that you just want your usual. So the process of innovating that that came from a guy saying, let's just hire lunch of a shirt can. This process use. Find inefficiency and then restart the industry today and then do that with no gravity by just letting absolute insane ideas fly because 99 of them will just be crazy and funny and the 100th one will be accidentally brilliant. Awesome. Great answers. Great question, guys. Who would like to ask the next question? Josh I, from Amarillo. Hey, Jeff. Uh, hey, I own a Chick-fil-A here in Amarillo, Texas. So I know what you're talking about with the fast food innovation. If you need any contacts with Chick-fil-A corporate, I advise our drive-through team. So uh, just let me know if you need any. That tech sounds really cool. My question to you was, how do you source your info for your daily sponging? Like, do you do you just grab it off a stack of magazines? Well, that's awesome. All right. So that's a really good question, Josh. And my answer to that is literally whatever captures your curiosity. I actually tell people not, sometimes people ask me for a list of places to go to get info, sponge info. And I tell them that's exactly wrong because you've already edited out, a edited out a bunch of things. I think it's really important to literally just follow your curiosity. Whatever catches my eye, sometimes it's a physical magazine, a newspaper. Sometimes it's something I'm driving by that I stop and walk in because I say, I've always wondered what this was. And I would say more often it's a link on the internet somewhere that catches my eye. This is the reason that I want you to not think about it and just follow your reactive curiosity. And that's because I think we completely underestimate our gut instinct. When you say, when people ask me how I make a decision as an entrepreneur, and sometimes I say, go with my gut, they cringe. Like, man, you should have committees and meetings and data and everything. Well, that's because that implies that your gut instinct is this emotional reactive thing that didn't think. And I think what we have here is a marketing problem. Your gut instinct should be renamed and it should be called your fast intelligence. And the reason why is your gut instinct, the thing that made you go left here instead of right, is the sum total of every time you've ever gone right and regretted it. And every time you've gone left and it worked. Your gut instinct is the running accumulative total of every bad decision you've ever made and every good one. So when your gut says, ooh, look at that, there's a reason. If you think about it, you'll say, well, I don't know why I look at that. Start editing it, and you miss that, that flash of inspiration. So when something catches my eye, I don't question it at all. I say, for some reason, that's got my eye. I click on it and read it. Or I buy that magazine that I'm walking by. I let my curiosity, my instinct guide me because it's not making wildly rash decisions. It actually contains a lot of data. So follow your curiosity and things that catch your eye. Don't question them. Just read them. Just, just learn them. You're driving by something one day. You say, I wonder what's in there. Stop for the first time ever. Park your car and go in there and ask some questions. Don't question the feeling that makes you wonder. Follow it. Great question, Joshua. Who has our next question? Yeah, this is Joseph. Can you hear me? Gotcha, Joseph. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you, Jeff, for sharing all that with us. My question is pretty simple. If you could talk to 20, 30-year-old Jeff, what would you tell him? Probably the advice that you guys have heard before, but it's about filtering out the noise, right? And you guys know this as part of this tribe. There are people in your life that not only contribute nothing positively, but drain your energy, uh, right? And you've got to be strong enough to jettison them. You've got to be able to say that there are things in your life and people in your life that are a net negative and you don't need that. Now, clearly, we're not talking about a family member who needs you that you can't, you know, you're not going to get rid of. But I'm saying if you look at the rest of your life, there's a lot of things you do and people you're involved in that were totally voluntary and you could equally as voluntarily get out of them. And then you wonder why you weren't as productive as you were or why you lost your interest in this because you let all these negative people, the proximity, talk you out of what later you say, man, I should have followed my gut. I should have done what I thought. So I think that early on, it was my mom was telling me, you know, if someone doesn't like you, my mom's like, you need to drive over to his house, sit down face to face and talk this out. The truth is, you actually do not have to be friends with everybody you've ever met. You actually can have a really small group of friends that you would literally trust with your life and stop worrying about everyone else. You're not going to make them all happy. You can have as many as you want. What I'm saying is, look in the mirror and be honest. If you've got a lot of people in your life or things you're doing that really are not bringing you value, then be brave enough to jettison them. And so back then, I didn't. If somebody didn't like me, my mom would say, 
ask him to lunch and sit down and work this out. And later I thought, why did I just waste that time? Because even if it works out, I don't want to be friends with that guy. Now we're friends and I don't even want him around. What was I doing? And that's the same with activities. I was involved in some things that seemed to make sense at the time, but even in my gut then, I was like, this is not getting me any closer to the life I want, so I have no idea why I'm doing this. But I didn't pull myself away because everyone else, I was following the herd. Everyone else, all the golfers were saying, let's walk down the fairway. So I was like, geez, I don't want to be the only guy heading over to the baseball diamond. So I followed the crowd. I would advise myself a lot better. I would advise myself to look and say, why are you following the golf crowd? Even if you're the only one that wants to play baseball, get out of there and go find some baseball players. Awesome. Great question. Thank you, Jeff. Next question. So go, go ahead. This is Jim Campbell. Go, Jim. Hey, Jeff. Um, how are you doing? Thank you for taking the time. Um, when I met you a few weeks ago, I asked you a question in Philadelphia. And I said, Jeff, how did you know it was time for you to make your next, uh, your next transition? And specifically, I was referring to uh, um, from you going from one business to the next with your last one uh, being Priceline, I believe. Um, you had mentioned that you had saw a sign on a, on a window uh, which had pushed you to do these philanthropic type events. But in advance of that, how did you know? You, you mentioned, I think, seven or eight or nine different companies that you set up and established and, and perhaps ultimately sold. But how did you know um, it was ultimately time for you to finish that and move on to the next project? What was your internal barometer that let you uh, help you make those decisions? There were two things. One was the one you mentioned. I was walking down the street and I saw a sign that said, you may be successful, but do you matter? And I literally thought it was like a hidden camera show because I was thinking about my life and then the sign appears on this window of this apartment outside. And I was like, what? And it said, you may be successful, but do you matter? That got me on the track of thinking about, if anything I do matter, because if all you ever do is things that keep bettering yourself, sold another company, made another dollar, bought another house, whatever. I'm not telling you any of those things are bad, but you don't matter. And so mattering is the, num you know, is the, the cumulative positive effect you've had on other people's lives, not yours. Um, so that got me thinking about it. But the real trigger event, to be honest, years ago was uh, that my best friend in the whole world, Michael, uh, drowned in the Irish Sea. And Michael used to come up to me all the time. And he'd say, Jeff, let's go do this. And I'd say, Michael, it's Tuesday morning. We can do it Saturday. And Michael would say, what if there is no Saturday? And I'd, I'd roll my eyes. And then Michael would come up again. Hey, man, let's go do this. I'd say, dude, it's Thursday evening. I'll see you on Saturday. We can go there Saturday. And Michael would say, what if there is no Saturday? And Michael was an adventurer and an athlete. And he was swimming in the North Sea off the coast of Ireland and swam past the same riptide pretty much that if you remember the movie Up, the turtles are swimming in the Gulf Stream. Yeah, it's that strong. We never found him again. As soon as he swam into it, it took him, and we never even found a body. Even with the Irish Navy and Coast Guard and helicopters, we couldn't find him. And when I was at the funeral, I was, first of all, it had two effects. I went, my, Michael wanted to work for me, so I brought him into the company. And I went into the company, and every single thing at the office was the same. We were doing well. We were making money. Customers loved us. The business was kicking butt, yet I had zero interest in doing I couldn't even pick up a pen or sit at a keyboard. I thought, if the business is just as successful and everything's great, why do I not care at all about the business? And I realized then because the only thing that made success good was the people you shared it with. Success without the people to share it with is completely pointless. I realized the only reason you want to be successful is because then you get to celebrate and share your success with people you love. So go to the funeral. Three months later, his parents say, look, we're never going to find the body, Jeff. Let's just do the funeral. So we go to the funeral. I'm standing at his funeral and I'm listening to people. And people are talking about my best friend. And they got him wrong. They're all saying, oh, Michael was this and Michael loved that and Michael did that. I was like, what? You guys, did you know the same guy? I said, Michael would be horrified if that's the way he summarized, you were summarizing his life. So let me ask every one of you to do, I'll ask you to do the three things I did. I asked my, I went over and sat in a chair because I was stunned. And I said, I took out a pencil, which you should do someday. And I wrote down, if today was your funeral, how do you think, honestly, guys, honestly, not what you want, what you think, how do you think people at your funeral would summarize your life? They're walking past your open casket, let's say. What are they saying? Because they were describing Michael's life wrong. So I wrote down what I thought people would say. And I literally thought about in specific people. Well, she would probably say he works too much. 
And so-and-so would say, he made a lot of money. And another person would say, man, he had a really cool car. And somebody else would say, he was a good businessman. I was thinking about what people would say if today was my funeral. You should do that. And I was disgusted. I said, my life's an epic fail. Because if that's my eulogy, I wasted my life. Then take, flip the paper over. This is what I did. And here's what I want you to write on the backside. What do you wish people this would say? What do you want people to say at your funeral when that day comes? So I'll tell you what I wrote down. I wrote down that same list of people filing past my casket, and everyone had a story about some, the way that Jeff positively impacted their life. Man, Jeff did this. Jeff impacted my life in this way positively. Then let me tell you the third exercise. I didn't do it until I got home. After I wrote what I thought people would say at my funeral, then write what I wanted them to say, ask yourself the third question. What are you actually doing to make the backside of that paper true? I said, let's see, I just started another company. Well, that'll go well on the first side of the page, but that isn't causing anything to happen on the second page. That is when I quit and I said, I'm done being a CEO and I have not launched a company since. I said, if I want my eulogy to be, Jeff took the time to listen to my life and help me improve it, then I better take the time to go listen to people's lives and help them improve it. And that's all I've been doing in the years since. Now, to be fair, you can't do that if you didn't work hard enough to make some money first, right? I, 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 you know, if I needed to make a paycheck every week, I would not be able to do that. So we're, we're, all those things are important. But at the, in terms of a legacy, I want my funeral to be a bunch of people saying, he really had time for me. He really, it isn't time, it's impact. He made a positive impact on my life in some way. So now I'm trying to actually live the back page of that eulogy so that when the time comes, it's actually true. Wow, that's exceptional. Great, great answer. So on that note, we've got just three minutes left here and we want to be ultra respectful of your time. Jeff, it's been such a treat to have you on and uh, sharing so much wisdom with our guys. It's really a, a blessing for us to be able to learn from you. So I guess, the, you know, the final question I would have from you is, Jeff, you know, what is it that we could do for you, you know, and, and maybe the one of the things could be, uh, you know, what is it you want to be remembered for? How should we remember you? And then how can we support that memory? Or what's it, what could we do to support your legacy and what you're trying to accomplish in your mission right now? The truth is you guys do that every day. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on this call, right? I, I mean, I support, you, you know, you and the extended family for a really obvious reason. The one thing that I don't have in this world is time. You know, like in my, in my Global Entrepreneurship Network role, uh, we work with entrepreneurs in 173 countries. As you know, I've been traveling country to country to country. Time is the single scarcest resource and the most valuable thing for me. So the reason that I give you guys uh, as much of my time as I can is because I believe in your mission. I believe in what you're doing. So, you know, the answer is, the more you guys continue to do that, it's the answer to your question really, Mike, is the ripple effect. I don't want anything to do any, I don't want anybody to do anything for me. I've been way more than blessed, way more blessed than I ever, ever thought or, or dreamed of being blessed. What I want to see is the ripple effect uh, that everybody turns around. When somebody feels touched or motivated by somebody, instead of, you know, giving a hug to that person, I want you to turn around to somebody who isn't there and say, you know what, I'm going to take that energy and I'm going to transfer it onto that person. I'm going to grab that person by the hand, pull them forward, give them a hug and say, what can I do for you? So as, as trite as pay it forward is, it is 100% true. I got, I, I'll tell you, I, I'm here at a global conference with entrepreneurs from all over the world. That's what I'm doing in Malaga, a conference I'm hosting. And I met a uh, young African entrepreneur. He's from Kenya, but I mentored him um, and I brought him with me to an event that I spoke at and he brought with me today a video. And he said, Jeff, he said, I hope you're not mad at me because I plagiarized you. He said, I repeated some of your words exactly as you said them. And he said, but I want to show you what I did when I got back to Kenya. And he showed me this video of, you know, in, out in the sort of the African village. Uh, and they're sitting in a school that has no building. The school is a tree. And all the kids are sitting there. And he is pretty much re-giving one of my talks uh, to a bunch of youth across Africa under a tree in the dirt. And, and hugging the kids and encouraging them and promising to help. There is no way any gift could ever beat that, where he said, I learned from you and I passed it to these kids and, you know, and now they're better for it too. I think that's the model that when all of us feel like something we did rippled down the road and impacted someone else farther away from us, 
pretty sure that's what we were put on this earth to do. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank you for that, Jeff. That's a perfect way for us to to end the call today. Uh, we're so appreciative of your time and all the wisdom you shared, and we will absolutely do that, guys. If you heard what he was saying, is let's share Jeff's wisdom notes you've captured and and the ideology and things that he shared let's carry those forward into the world and help make it a place where we uh, all have the support help and people reaching down and helping others to lift them up i think that's what i really get from that jeff and we're a tribe that's uh, committed to doing that so thank you for the inspiration on our journey towards that we really appreciate it absolutely and, and i didn't mean just share what i said share your wisdom what, what i like is let me know I love getting the emails back where someone said, you know, I just spoke to these kids in the school or I was helping my sister or whatever it is. I love to hear the stories of the ripple effect. So when you guys are out in the world and we, and any one of us has done something good, feel free to email me anytime. I love hearing those. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. That's awesome, guys. Great questions. Uh, just a heads up. We have a call uh, similar to this with somebody I really respect and admire, my uh, personal coach for the last eight years, Janai Lane, uh, who many of you have met, will be on to do a, an hour session and interview on Monday. Uh, so mark your calendars for that. It's going to be exceptional. And don't forget, we have an Austin uh, trip coming up in September. Uh, David Osborne and Chris Schonk are putting together an incredible shark tank. We have some awesome special guests and some adventure planned for you. So uh, make sure you get signed up from that for that at September 9th to the 11th. And uh, guys, great job. Awesome to see you all. Jeff, thank you once again for your uh, wisdom today. We really thank appreciate you guys. it. Grab life big. 